exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories. Their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Les Patterson. Now, Les and I know each other from the National Speaker Association. And um, how long have you been in that, Les? Oh, God, I think I've been part of the National Speakers Association for nearly six years. Okay, very good. I joined, well, I started speaking in 2010, but I don't think I joined till like 2013, which I always recommend to people that are wanting into speaking to join their local National Speaker Association chapter, even if you've never spoken, because you're going to start hanging out with people who are legitly doing it. But I thought I had to, you know, be legit before I came. So I waited until I had my number of speeches or whatever, you know? Yeah, same here. You did the same thing? Yeah, well, I, I would I would speak as part of my profession, uh, which I, a career I was in before, but not a lot. And I knew about National Speakers Association, but I didn't think it would be for me because I wasn't doing speaking as a profession. I wasn't speaking full time. And it wasn't until I transitioned uh, in my career and started my own uh, mentoring and coaching and training, consulting and speaking business. I thought, oh, well, I better be part of the national speakers now because I'm doing it full time. I, I should have joined 10 years earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, had no intention of being a speaker prior to 2009, um, 2010. But I thought, you know, if I didn't join as this full member, that I would not be accepted by the other kids in the class, right? But I have found our group to be incredibly welcoming and people of all different experience levels. And uh, I think it's a good segue to what we're going to talk about today of leadership. Oh, I, I know. And see, and, and Lita, that's what, what I think about. Because like when I met you, um, you had already been well involved in the chapter. You were doing things and you made me feel like I was, I was one of the kids in the block. I was one that belonged there. And here I am feeling totally wet behind the ears, feeling like I don't belong. And you and others went out of your way to make me feel like I I was seen, I was heard, I was loved, I belonged there. And I think that's one of the most powerful parts about being an intentional leader. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that that's, I do love people, but you know, the fi- the funny thing that comes to my mind with you saying that, that you had been speaking for longer than I had through your profession. So if I had been poopy to you, Sorry for the strong words. And then we started, you know, comparing resumes. You could have been like, why do I care about her opinion or whatever? You could have been reverse poopy to me, but that's why we just, we never know when we're working with someone, you know, or interacting with someone who they really are. I sat down on a plane recently next to a gentleman and he's, he was probably about 80 and he used to be one of the Harlem Globetrotters. Wow. And he's a city commissioner for Savannah, Georgia. So he's a man with quite a bit of power and influence and prestige and amazing things that he's accomplished in his life. And he just looked like an older, you know, unassuming grandpa, you know, but if you were to make a judgment on what you look at, you can miss a lot of amazing people. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, a story and um, I, I can't remember the gentleman's name who, uh, who wrote this book uh, off the top of my head, but he, he tells about a dinner party he was at and how he was having this conversation with, with an older gentleman. And uh, as, as they got done and everybody left, his, his friend said, well, wasn't that incredible who you got to talk to? 
So yeah, he, he was a he was an incredible guy, a nice guy. And he looked at him and said, Did you not know who that was? He said, Well, it was so and so. He said, No, that is that is Buzz Aldrin, the Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> Does he introduce himself as Buzz? Because I'd be like, that's funny. Are you related to the Buzz Aldrin? <laughs> You know, and here he is talking to, you know, one of the most famous, you know, men in, in American history, you know, one of those early pioneer astronauts. And and that individual didn't bring up any of, of that. He was more interested in the person he was talking to mm-hmm. uh, and wanted to hear their story and wanted them to be seen and heard and loved and validated. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, my husband was in the military. You served as well, Les. Correct. How long did you serve? 24 years. Thank you very much for your service. Thank my you. husband served for um, four years and not in um, in between the two Gulf War conflicts. So he was deployed to Bosnia, but he really didn't see um, anything. And then 24 years, I'm sure you saw a lot. So thank you for that. But um, my husband wasn't good at being differential to people which sometimes the people in the military kind of like my husband treats everybody with the same level of respect and, and kindness. And that's something that I really loved about him, but it was something that if people wanted to be kissed up to that they did not like, <laughs> you know? So, you know, you, you can be too differential. You can't, you know, treating people. Um, one time I was at the airport and this lady, I just started talking to this lady. And after she left there, people were like, Oh my crap. <sighs> And she was evidently one of the housewives on the TV shows, you know, those real housewife TV shows uh-huh. of LA. And so she's a celebrity, but she seemed so grateful that I was talking to her. And I just thought, oh, this poor lonely girl, you know, she just really wanted some attention, but she literally is isolated by her fame. Yeah. But I had no idea because I don't watch the real housewife TV shows. Yeah. So our friend, uh, Jason Hewlett, who is, um, yeah, a professional speaker who is on the level where he attracts, he's in that celebrity status as a, as a speaker. And this past weekend uh, in Salt Lake City, uh, Utah, uh, the NBA had the All-Star Games. And uh, Jason, uh, with his children, was at a, a restaurant and they happened to see Dr. J, Julius Irving. Uh, who was a childhood hero of, of Jason when he was when he was uh, a, a kid? And oh, here's this legend, and I'd give anything if my children could meet him. And as he stood up, he recognized that Dr. J was was in in a prompt hurry, uh, but he paused briefly and said, shook his hand and said. Can I, would you have a moment said, I'm sorry, I don't. And, uh, but he paused long enough to acknowledge Jason. And Jason, Jason talks about how they both kept a promise. And Jason kept the promise to not bug uh, a celebrity, to not, to not hound him. Um, and, and Dr. J kept a promise to be a decent human being. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't have the time is a very valid yeah. <laughs> yeah very valid he was gracious acknowledged there was another person in front of him and jason was gracious and not be like no we have to take 25 selfies yes yeah and and again, i read that blog too and there one of the kids got a picture of that interchange so they still did end up getting um a moment you know, a little yeah. memento of of meeting a hero and he was a gracious human so it was awesome yeah yeah uh, i i think that's one of the the incredible gifts that we have as, as a leader and and so can, can we define a leader for just a moment Lisa? absolutely so first first to you, actually can i interview you is that all right <laughs> sure <laughs> how, how would you define a leader well to me um without spending a lot of time thinking about a succinct definition that's always fun because this isn't my area of speaking expertise but A leader is somebody that ideally people choose to follow because of their characteristics and responsibility. Okay. Okay. 
So a person that somebody else chooses to follow because of, of who they are, their values, their characteristics, their attributes, their example. And I'm choosing the word, I'm saying choose because I think it's important that we, um, there are leaders that are, that are elected, that are selected, that are appointed, but that yeah. doesn't mean that other people see you that way. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that's the exact reason why I choose to see or define this, this concept to be a leader of one who chooses to insert influence that others choose to follow. And it's separate from their uh, title, if they may have one. Um, I think about uh, the... Um, the grouchy coworker who just always shows up with a bad attitude, it's just always miserable, just always. And is that person a leader? Well, they could be a leader to be that um uh what's that euphemism? You know, one bad apple spoils the bunch, right? That they mm-hmm. could their negativity could filter off into others. Yeah, it, it has influence, doesn't it? Right. You know, a negative person can have influence just as a, as a positive person, just as an optimistic uh, person can have influence. I mean, we, we think about some of the, the evil dictators of, of the world, like, you know, that have like an Adolf Hitler, for instance, you know, a very charismatic leader who used his influence for some of the utmost evil we've ever seen. Right. You know, And his oration skill. I mean, talking about speakers, my mother um, remembers hearing him speak, you know, in a rebroadcast, but the tone and intonation of how he spoke that she was kind of like, I don't understand German, but I believe this man. Yeah. And then she had to remind herself that she was listening to a rebroadcast of Hitler. Yeah. But just the way he, the way he moved his, you know, this cadence that it was so riveting. I apologize, everyone. I'm a little bit sick, so I'm having a hard time getting my words very eloquently. So I'll just apologize where I'm like, words are hard. (laughs) So, you know, that his cadence and rhythm of speech was mesmerizing. Very much so. And and so as I think about that, um, I'd I'd like to twist this just a little bit. And as we as we think about our voice having influence on others, our example having influence on others, our values, our characteristics having influence on others, who is the most important person that our own leadership needs to influence? Well, that's easy for me to answer, Les. I'm a big fan of being a parent. Okay. Big fan. I mean, I would hope that my children get the very best of me my my husband and my children get the best of what I have to offer the world okay I think that's valid those that we have that direct influence on that direct connection with that direct responsibility with we want to have great influence on them so let's take it one more step if we want to have great influence on our children on our family step it up a notch to our employees to our team, to those we work with, our neighborhood, our community. Mm-hmm. Who do we have to influence first? Who do we have to lead first? If you want to be the very best, question, say that again. This is a rhetorical question, isn't it? It's not a who, it's who, meaning ourselves, right? Ourselves, yes. Yeah, if, Lita, if you're going to be the very best mother that you can be, uh, well, you have to do things to lead yourself to be that best mother. Absolutely. You have to be able to speak words of uh, value and strength and power and confidence and love and grace to yourself. You have to replace the negative, destructive thoughts and words that we, we often allow to fill the void in Absolutely. our brain with words that encourage and inspire and and empower. Absolutely. Because what we fill ourselves with is what we spill out onto others. Um, 
my first book, How to Embrace Your Inner Hotness, I talk a little bit about my grandma and how grandma told me I was ugly and that nobody could love me. And really that was a reflection of how she felt about herself because she had an eating disorder. She'd been married three times. She felt that her value was what she looked like. And instead of what she really, in my opinion of how she treated those closest to her, than really who she was. And that she, she, um, there was a, a culture in our family of basically using the language of our conversation that they were designated leadership. And just because they were the head of the family, I came from a matriarchal family that they deserved our respect and loyalty, Mm. but did not give respect and loyalty. Yeah. You know, when the, when the poop really hit the fan in life, you would be blamed for it. Yeah. And even including um, my being molested, I was, I was referred to as a whore, you know, and I was a child. And, you know, that was a good thing for me because it helped me realize they did not deserve because it was so cruel and it was so unkind that they did not deserve my undying loyalty. But I think, you know, with leadership, there's a lot of times people are like, well, I'm the leader, I'm the boss. But if you're not willing to have the back of your employees, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, that's why I think why why we do have a title uh, or if we have a title, uh, a position of authority, uh, sometimes people will do what we ask them or direct them to do. Uh, but it's often going to be done begrudgingly. It's often going to be done halfway. Uh, or out of fear, you know, the fear. You know, being a yeah. parent, being like, I told you, you had to do this. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but when we can learn to to see ourselves with with value, with grace, to, to love ourselves with grace, I this concept of becoming an intentional leader is something I'm passionate about because I had to discover this for myself, Lita. I lived for a long time in in the darkness of doubt, mm. in the darkness of not feeling that I had value to offer to the world. And, and to my family, to, to, to my wife. And this was even in the midst of, of being really successful in, in a career, uh, doing things of, of importance in life, but yet living with, with darkness inside that there, there wasn't greatness in me. There wasn't goodness in me. There was just brokenness in me. And I had to learn how to change that story that I was creating for myself. Well, I'm going to correct you. It wasn't that greatness wasn't in you. It's that you were shoving it down. Well, very much so. Yes. It, it, it's been there all along. And, and I know that today. And I feel that today. But I, I couldn't see it. I, I, for sure, I couldn't believe it. You know, it's kind of like I, I, I believe, I, I believe in, in God. And I believe that there's there's a savior who has saved the world. Amen. But I knew he couldn't save me. Oh, oh, less. Yeah. And, and I, and I lived, I lived with that for a long time. I can't remember the author's name. You might, but it's the, the book is called believing in believing in Christ instead of, and the whole premise of the book is we may intellectually understand what God has done for us, but can we apply it? Yeah. Um, To ourselves. Stephen Robinson, maybe? That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's a great book. Christ. Yes. The bicycle story. You want to tell that one for the listeners who might not have read the book? Oh, wow. Wow. Let's see if I, if I can, if I remember this. So uh, the author uh, talks about this experience with his, uh, with uh, his child, a little girl, I believe, and uh, she she wanted this uh, this new bicycle, and uh, and he told her, said, "Well, you save up all your pennies, and you'll be able to get get your new bicycle." And so she he started to notice over time that she would do little odd jobs around the house, and Mama would give her a penny. And at one point she came to dad's dad, 
I've saved up all of my pennies. Can we go get a bike? And so how many do you have? And I don't remember. It's like 38 cents or something like that. And, uh, and he recognized what this moment really was. And so they went down to the store and they're looking at all the bikes and she found her bike and it was just the right bike, the right size, had the right little things on it that she wanted. And she's all excited. And she looked at the price tag and she was old enough to realize that her 38 cents and the price tag on the bike was there was a big gap between them. And she she was started to cry, I believe, and she was just heartbroken because she knew she couldn't get her bike. And, and her dad kneels down by her and he says, I'll tell you what, honey, you give me all your pennies, all your 38 cents. And then you give daddy a hug and a kiss. And we'll get you that bike. Yeah. For those who are not watching less, it made me start tearing up that, you know, he felt that you could tell that you felt that for you personally, that you brought your 38 cents to God and he's made up the difference. And I, I want to add to this moment that I too have felt that in my life, you know, so people uh, always get in this debate about what God expects of us. He just expects us to do our best. That's it. Just try. It's not about perfection. It's not about hitting a mark. And that's why it's so beautiful that the love of God is available to everybody because we just have to try. That's it. And some people's trying may look different than other people's, but it's trying. Yeah. And, and, and how, how we manifest that trying, how, how, we, how we live our faith is a very individual thing. Um, you know, and I, I, I think, you know, we bring this back into this, this leadership concept. Um, I think we as leaders uh, have the opportunity to recognize the 38 cents in ourselves mm-hmm. and allow, you know, allow the grace of, of life. Cause I believe there's grace in life. Absolutely. And, and then we can connect it with the grace of God, the grace of a higher power. Well, instead of being like, um, if I'm into understanding what you're saying, instead of being like, um, Oh, I'm the boss. I'm in charge. Um, I have this title. It's being like, okay, here are my weaknesses. So I have hired you because you're really good at this and I'm not. And I've hired you because you're better at this than I am. And, you know, and they say that great leaders surround themselves and empowering that person and respecting that person for being really good at it, you know, instead of just being like, I'm always right. Everything I do is, is golden, you know, having that humility And it's interesting because sometimes I think, um, you know, people that are um, open with their weaknesses, people criticize them. Sometimes that's the case. But you can get a lot more done if you're not trying to cover up what you lack. So true. Yeah, yeah, so true. Um, I, I love the concept of I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Um, now I, I may be the leader and I have a responsibility of uh, creating a vision for people to follow. Uh, I have the responsibility of leading, of being at the helm of the ship, so to speak, uh, of sailing the ship and being able to look far out for the dangers, to keep my eye on the course, to keep my sights focused on Polaris, the night star, to, to, to guide me uh, and for people to follow that clarity of vision. Because when we have clarity, then we're able to focus our, our, our path, our plan. When we have focus, we're able to do. Clarity and focus and action, they, they work hand in hand, but we have to, too often we act without the focus, without the clarity. And then then, then our team, then, then our family, they, they don't know who to follow. They don't know why we're, they, they should follow. So sometimes they just end up doing, sometimes out of fear, sometimes out of, um, well, I, I got to keep my job. And, and right. sometimes they just say, okay, well, he said what he wants. She said what he, she 
wanted. I'm just going to go do my thing. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to hide away and I'm going to sit here and get a paycheck and I don't have to do anything because no one cares. No one notices what I'm doing or not doing. Kind of thing. Yeah, well, you, you've you used this phrase a lot in this conversation to be seen. And um, I'm liking how you kind of mentioned it was like a ship because the navigator isn't going in the bottom back of the ship to figure out where the stars are to navigate by. Right. They're up on the front where everyone in that ship can see that they're doing their part and that they're checking their computations, right? You know, the, the trajectory of their where they're going. And so it's really clear and obvious that they are thoughtfully considering the path forward. Very much so. And, you know, I feel like that was, you know, kind of beautifully pointed out in what you were sharing about the the Polaris. I don't even I I would I would I should never be in charge of deciding where a ship goes. I lose all sense of direction on the ocean. <laughs> uh. I'm a child of the Mountain West. So um my dad's a trucker, so I travel all over, you know, the western United States and I can feel north at all times. But every time I get on a ship, my my compass is just spinning around. It can't figure out which is north. <laughs> but like I wake up in the morning and I can feel where north is. Oh, that that that's amazing because that could be a challenge. It's a challenge I have. Uh, if I'm I've grown up and lived in the mountainous environment uh, where we have mountains that tend to run north and north and south, and so it's always easy to orient. And so what. I am uh, like we were in Florida a couple of years ago on the coast, and I know this is west. We were on the on the Gulf Coast of Florida, and I know that is west. But my body was always one cardinal direction off, so <laughs> west felt like it was it was south. Oh. Even though logically I know, and when I was in Iraq, and and uh, sometimes we were in kind of a rolling hills area or the flat part of, of the desert that was always a quarter off and i had to rely on on aids i had to rely on my my compass i had to rely on our um uh, our our version of it of a gps i've system. never lived in the desert so we don't know if i would be, <laughs> be good at that but i'm on a hike i'm pretty handy because i can just feel it you know, but again, I've never been in the desert. I assume it could be very similar to how the ocean disorients me. <laughs> very well could be, yeah. Very, you know? very, very well could be. But yeah. going back to how we're saying that, you know, a good leader is checking the course, bringing different skill sets in, and seeing those that follow them. Have I got a good summary of what we've covered so far? I think so, yeah. 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 You know, our, our friend, Julie Lee, uh, who is, uh, uh, is also a speaker and has, in fact, uh, she, I had her come up and speak at, I just did a leadership experience at the end of January, where uh, she, myself, and several other uh, presenters were, uh, were speaking at this, uh, this summit. And one of of her most powerful messages is the importance of seeing those that we lead. And she wrote a book, I See You, right? Is that the yes. title of the book? I'm like yeah. looking over because I know I have it in my my stack of books here. Yeah, yeah, that's the name of her book, I See You. She talks about the connected leader mm -hmm. uh, and how connected leaders see those that they lead. And that just doesn't mean they see their position. The, they don't see just the responsibility. They, they see the person. They see the humanity of this person. And when we see them, mm -hmm. we can care for them. We can have compassion for them. Uh, I believe that we can we can choose to love the people that, that we lead. Absolutely. I loved how you said the humanity of them. I think one of the most chilling things I've heard in recent politics was um, a woman that was at the World Economic Forum, which I'm not a fan of. Um, saying that it's so weird that people do not see them as the elite and they're not listening to them as they should. And that was really chilling to me because it, it said she doesn't see people as the equal to her in value, in right. dreams and aspirations, and that she feels entitled to our 
loyalty, submission. And I found that to be very chilling for someone who's supposedly um, trying to make world policy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be chilling. You know, and, um, and that scares me when I hear of leaders be like, you know, putting people in a, or elected leaders, putting people in a stratus, you know, them and us. That's very, very scary to me. Yeah. Well, and if, they, if that's true on a, a worldwide and a national level, uh, well, it's also very, very true in company cultures. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we, we see, and it doesn't matter the size of the company, too often we see, you know, well, it's, it's my way or the highway kind of thing. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, you'll do as I say. And I'm not saying that there's not room for uh, strong expectations for high expectations. I think uh, you should have high expectations, but without any discussion or plan, but just saying, go do it is, uh, you know, and if you fail all the consequences are on you, that's going to be a very toxic environment very fast. Yes. Yeah. And, and there's a way to create that environment where where because you have clarity as an intentional leader you're able to focus your efforts and able to help others gain clarity so they can focus their efforts so that those efforts turn into viable actions actions that generate results actions that generate the needed results actions that move the needle whether we're talking about profits we're talking about productivity you know we're talking about creating an environment where we truly as an organization solve a problem that uh, a customer, a client is willing to invest their precious resources of money and their time and their energy to get the results that we can deliver with our solutions. You know, when we get really clear, when we get focused, we'll deliver those kind of actions that create those kind of results. And I think that's what an intentional leader learns how to do by starting here, right here, mm -hmm. by seeing that they can love themselves with grace and lead themselves with confident greatness. They can create that story, what I call a story of love and greatness for themselves. I can do it for me. Lita, you can do it for yourself. We can each do it. And then we can better lead people because we can create clarity. We can create focus so that actions will generate results. Yeah. And I also like how you're putting the focus on the self, you know, that we have to become and lead ourselves and be responsible for ourselves, which also says a great leader isn't asking someone to do something they won't do. You know, they're not assigning, um, you know, the frontline battle to somebody that they haven't trained and something that they haven't also experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I, I'll, I'll, I'll challenge that thought just to just, okay. To a teeny bit. Um, You're the one who studied this, so I I'm interested. Spit it out. Don't don't hesitate. Just give well, it, it. It doesn't mean it's correct. But I we're having a discussion, so I don't want you to tiptoe yeah. or worry because you're my friend and I respect you. So you and know, same here. And I know we're having this conversation. And isn't that a powerful part of leadership? Right. But I also know you well enough to know that you're really nice guy. So I don't want you to be like. I challenge you like you're like your body language was like I challenge you I'm like just just give it to me less it's fine spit it out I can take it <laughs> all right so we 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 use this cliche phrase and I believe it is a cliche phrase well a leader will never ask another person to do something that he, he or she is not willing to do uh or is not capable of doing and I don't think that's actually fully accurate and I I don't think we actually see that in most modern day or right. age. Because like if leaders. I'm not good at math, but I sure have an assistant who is. Exactly. But is there a willingness component? You know, if if I if I'd be willing to do it if I were good at it, but I'm smart enough to go, my assistant's gonna be better at this, or the computer. <laughs> It's going to be better than this. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a willingness to, in, in a humility and a confidence that are involved mm -hmm. in there. I think, one, there's a confidence factor to recognize 
the things that we do well and the things that are best suited for our efforts. As, as a leader at any level in an organization, there are things that are gonna be best suited for us to be able to do. Uh, I think it's true in family environments, it's true in small businesses, it's true in very large organizations. There's things that are gonna be best suited for us to do for lots of reasons. You know, for the efficiency of the company, for the productivity, for the profitability of the company, there's gonna be things that are best suited for us to do. Um, I think our willingness is our willingness to understand how it all works together. It's our willingness to be able to lead uh, with clarity and focus from the helm of the ship mm-hmm. so that we can see where we're going. That Because that's what our team really wants from us. They want to know that we have the helm. They want to know that we know where we're going. They want to have trust in it. They want to trust us. Because if they know or they feel that trust that we know where we're going, then they're not going to worry about their paycheck showing up. Right. They're not going to worry about being criticized because they made a decision within the scope of the responsibility that may not have actually been the best decision. It's because we trust them, because we see them. We see them. And they're not going to blame everyone else. They're going to take their responsibility. Exactly. Because failure is a part of life and it's okay. It's, I don't know. I mean, I do know why, I guess, but I, I feel like we should learn that we shouldn't be so um, afraid of failure because it's not like if we fail, our village goes up in fire. Right. (laughs) You know, it's not like, oh, you know, bubonic plague wiped out 40% of the planet. You know, it's the consequences of failure, basically money and prestige loss. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, uh, failure that can be, that we can look at and see like, it's just this teeny thing to another person. It can be a really big thing. And we want to be able to recognize that and help a person lead through those situations. Um, there's, there's a little uh, principle of, essentially it's a principle of, of delegation but I see there's a principle of leadership that I call the 8220 rule. 8220? 8220. Oh, 80 going 220. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 80 slash 220. So oh, it's okay. 80%, 220%. Okay, because I'm thinking the 8020 rule. So I was like, okay, this is different. Okay. So I had. I see how that gets, uh, that could be a little confusing. I'm going to have to rethink how I present this at times. So, so well, if you had a visual, of, if you had a visual, then it works. But yeah. so. so oftentimes we wear so many hats, particularly as, as small business leaders, we wear a lot of hats because that's, that's the nature of small business. And we're not going to have the resources to be able to do or to hire somebody to do everything. So we wear a lot of hats. Well, sometimes we're hesitant to pass on one of those hats because they won't do it as well as we're going to do it. (laughs) So my concept is, well, what if we could find somebody who could do it 80% as well as we do it? Well, they might have to start at 10% and then get to 20% and then get to 40 and 50 and 60 and 70%. Maybe they actually only get to 70%. Well, that's 70% of what we were able to do it as. And that 70% actually might be more than enough. Well, the other end of it is finding somebody who can do it 220% better than we can. <laughs> right, right. So for instance. Like my ability for people to do math and grammar for me. Exactly. <laughs> I miss most of my early education because of how our home life was. And those skills that build on each other. I've never quite been, I, I get better and better, but I, the gap is there. Sure. And so when I talked about spending a lot of energy trying to hide it, I spent so much energy trying to hide that I was bad at math and grammar. And even to this day, sometimes people are like, Hey, there's grammar errors. And, I'm like, and they'll, and it used to be that people would critique and get upset about it. And I'd be like, it's all right. I know that it's okay. But I used to be like, have my pride hurt. It's like, oh, why, sure. yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, nowadays we have tools that can help us with things like that, right? 
And that's that's where the 220% comes in. For instance, QuickBooks is 220% better than than doing all bookkeeping on Excel. Yeah, yeah. And, and Excel is 220% better than doing than do all bookkeeping in a manual written ledger. Right. So having having my wife who does our our bookkeeping uh, and all of our invoice she's 220% better than me doing that. Yeah. Um, I love how you were talking about both tools, you know, like computers, programs, and people that are just better at it. And that's okay. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's hugely okay. I, when we first started our, our company, Red Edge Mentoring, um, I was doing manual invoices. Uh, for, uh, for for billing. And my wife, Elise, who's also my business partner, would she was doing the bookkeeping. And for some reason, I just felt I had to, I had to do the, uh, the invoices because it was, there was one more thing that I'd have to dump on her to figure out how to do. But I also love the thoughtfulness you give to your wife because you guys are really cute. You guys are sweet to each other. <laughs> Thank you. She's she's really patient with me. And, oh. uh, she's she's very very helpful, uh, amazingly helpful, in what it is that, that we are creating together. Well, that that same principle is going to be true in every organization. There's there's going to be people that are that we need that are only going to be able to do something at forty percent of what we can do it or or mm-hmm. sixty or seventy or maybe they get to that eighty percent. But I do like the the implied um, trust of, you know, putting your pride aside to be like, well, I'm 100% good at this. And right. it's okay if somebody's 40 or 50% good, that's still probably going to be efficient for the long term of the company. But like, you know, I'm applying it to like teenagers. If you never let a teenager fold their own laundry, when are they going to get good at it? Exactly. You know, I mean... My kids can both fold laundry brilliantly, but I, when I first let them do it, my liking my house to be a certain way, I'd have to be like, ah, and I have to remind myself, like, this is how they get good at it, Yep. you know? Yep. And so they never remember a time they weren't proficient at laundry folding, but they've gotten better with the practice and yep. that I let them have that joy. <laughs> yeah. And isn't that a powerful gift that we can give to to those that that we lead is create an environment where they can learn and they can grow, they can develop that confidence. And we we lead them through that. And which means we've got to have clarity so that we can help them focus their efforts, help them have clarity so they can focus their efforts. So they put their actions to work to generate meaningful results. Well, we give them that clarity and then we give them the trust. And to start with, we give accountable trust. Uh, right. we, we, we give them this much space to be able to, which is a little bit of space, we give them a little bit of space to go do this limited task. And then we, we have some accountability with it. We do some spot checking on it. We, we let them go through a, a structured training program so that they can they can gain that confidence and then they get a little more space they get a little more trust because we're creating we're leading and it's a leader creates that kind of space creates that kind of environment and then people want to thrive because they know why they're doing what they're doing they have that clarity they know why their part makes such a huge difference in the viability of this organization which means they can trust that the captain it's got the helm of the ship. They can trust that their paycheck is still going to show up and they can take care of their, their personal life, their family. They can pursue their dreams, which we get to be part of that. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And they help us pursue our dreams. And how did you phrase it? Be seen. Uh, what was that phrase you've been using to be, be seen, be heard, be loved. 
Thank you. Be heard, be valued. Because I have a little bit of brain fog. I would have remembered that because it's very (laughs) catchy, but um, I apologize less. And to all my listeners, um, of course, I'm not contaging anyone right now. So that's good. Um, But be seen, be heard, be loved. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to apply to, um, like you're saying, you, you know, doing that whole thing of dialing it back from influence out in our workplace to influence in our community, to influence in our home, to having that influence and mentoring with yourself. And that's what you're doing in your job is your, your business is you're helping people to get them fine-tuned so that that can radiate out as the leader they're meant to be, right? Is that a good summation? That is a very good summation. Thank you. See, I'm not that sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I went to bed last night with my, my lymph nodes all swollen. And so I decided I'd sleep in this morning. And I guess that just said, sweet, we get to have a sick day. I think that's what, I think that's what it told my body. And we have that big, huge snowstorm. And so the whole, the whole world got canceled for me today and yeah. a busy day, but it's all canceled. So I don't have to contage anyone, you know, but nice. less, um, thank you so much for being on. I wanted to also do like a sweet shout out that less writes poetry and it's the sweetest thing because on your anniversary, your birthday, um, different times that I've put things up that were, you know, different challenges that my family was facing. You, it's, I can almost count on a poem coming from Les. And this last birthday, this last anniversary actually put our wedding picture behind on a poem. And you're like, you can print this out. So it's, it's really sweet and thoughtful. And that shows that despite what you shared about your doubt in yourself that you've refined you enough that you can see others and that you were seeking to connect with other people and to be seen, be heard and be loved um, to give them that. So thank you for being what you purport to be and being that in your personal life as well. Because whenever I look at leaders, like we've mentioned Jason Hewlett, I happen to be his neighbor that, so I've seen him, uh, you know, I was friends with his wife before I ever had any, awareness that what a speaker or anything like that and he is consistent and who he is and those those are things that I expect from a leader from people that we can look to be to be mentors is that kind of consistency very very powerful isn't it absolutely any closing thoughts Les Um, my friends wherever you're at in life uh it's all right to see and feel love for yourself and to see and feel greatness in yourself. Preach it less. Yeah, absolutely. It's all right right to give yourself that permission to see see and feel love and greatness for yourself because that's where you can really start to have influence on, on where you're going in life and who it is that you're becoming and how you can help those that matter most in your life to also see and feel that love and greatness in their life. Awesome. Yeah. I, you know, as a mom, it just makes me think about how much you see in your children and how much you love them. How many kids do you and Elise have? We have five. Five kids. So you get this very well. And then when they're beating up on themselves, you're like, come on, what are you talking about? And, uh, you know, since we brought a spiritual element to this and that's, um, all of us are equally loved and precious before God. And we all have talents and capabilities that he's given us. And sometimes we beat up on ourselves. I imagine God being like, are you kidding me? Are are you crazy? You know, that God's like, no, that's not right. It's not right. He, he did create each of us for a purpose and, you know, we're all loved. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yeah, this has been a beautiful conversation. Thank you for seeing me, uh, Lita. Thank you for uh, hearing me and for choosing to love me because uh, that brings that brings the validation that I need in life as well. Well, it's my honor, Les, and um, I, uh, I appreciate how professional friendships can grow and we can see that awesome consistency in people. And um, I knew that I liked you from the first time I saw you interact with your wife in a public space when people weren't watching and the love and respect you gave her. That's something that 
Um, if you're looking, one time there was a gentleman that cheated on his wife and he was in a, a networking group and he said it shouldn't affect how we all saw him. And we were like, yeah, it affects how we see you, <laughs> you know, um, your integrity to those closest to you matters. And so that's something that I purposely look for in people that are in my, in my circle. So I, I think part of that also means we learn to get back up. You know, we we learn to, to get back up and and to make right when things have not been right. And, yeah. uh, and, and I've had to walk that journey in my life. I've had to walk that journey in my marriage. Uh, we're celebrating 34 years uh, uh, last week. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we've together had to learn how do you how do you walk a path that sometimes is very, very hard? Mm-hmm. And we've experienced a lot of those hardships in life. And sometimes it's due to life, sometimes due to outside circumstances, sometimes due to choices. Yeah. And, uh, but you got back up, you got back into your marriage, and there's that sweetness that comes from that commitment of you choosing each other. Yes, and you sir. obviously, um, I mean, life, life is failure and that's okay. There's, there's that in life, but how you get, how you keep trying is how you get back up. Yes. I, I believe it's, that's one of my key promises. Uh, that I get back up every time, no matter what. Love it. So. Well, that's a, an awesome note to in this episode of share your hotness thank you Les, for bringing your hotness i always like saying that to the men because they're like (laughs) (laughs) i i i love it we could have a whole other conversation on that aspect of life as well absolutely absolutely and we probably will in the future so thank you so much Les, for being on my honor thank you hope the listeners can learn some things about what it is to be a leader and how that starts with ourselves My honor. Thank you.